Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Football Funders podcast. No Pete again this week, he's really, really busy. So it's me, Dan and Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, how are we doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad, Tar. But so today, obviously, we're going to start off by a special shout out to our sponsors, uh, the Proper Blokes Club. The Proper Blokes Club is a community product for men's mental health. The main aim is to break the stigma of men's mental health and start openly talking about it um, with exercise for walks. Walking is free, so it makes a great way to start and gets you out in the fresh air. Um, head over to their website, www.thepropablokesclub.co.uk to look for more. Um, they have Twitter and Facebook, which you can find off there, the mental the proper bloats club, of course. And our second ones, our new ones, is Let Us Talk Football Mental Health. They're a YouTube channel. Head over to their YouTube channel. You'll put in Let Us Talk Mental Health. It'll pop up. Watch their videos with some non-league footballers, different people around footballing game at that level. You might even find me on there. And they also have a charity football team, which I'm part of as well. So please head over to them. We'll uh, jump straight to the topics because um, to get a bit behind the scenes, I, I'm going away tomorrow and I haven't packed. So... Ryan, thankfully, was willing to go a bit earlier than normal You're very so welcome. that we could get, get things going. So Ryan, because of the, I've had a long week, so Ryan's had to completely come up with all the topics himself. So I'll hand over to Ryan and we can still get going. Well, I guess the best place to start off is going to be the England game. Obviously, England have just had two games. They had a comfortable 5-0 win against Andorra and a 1-1 draw at Wembley to Hungary, which was a very disappointing game overall. So, Dan, do you want to give your thoughts first on the Andorra game and then we'll go into the Hungary game? Uh, I'll keep it short and sweet, really, because I think the we're going to talk a bit about Hungary in a bit more detail. The Andorra game, you know, I think we've said it on previous podcasts, when you're playing a minnow, I think you'd probably class them. It's just about going out and, you know, having it, scoring some goals and just watching playing. It's a kickabout, isn't it, really? Because they don't really offer much. So, yeah, five goals, whoop de doo <laughs> Not really much to say about it. It's one of those games where I don't read the players how well a player does because, you know, I don't think it's much competition for them. This is the equivalent of, you know, Man United playing a non-league side. So I, I don't I don't look too much into it. So yeah, 5 nils fine with me. I must admit, it was nice to see Tammy Abrahams get a start. We, we've talked openly on previous pods about Gareth Southgate's insistence on picking his core of players, no matter what the match is. So it was nice to see a different 11, really. Nice to see a different change in attack as well. Jaden Sancho got a couple of goals, which I think will do a couple of assists, sorry, not goals, which should do him no harm at all, especially with what's going on with Manchester United at the moment. Tammy Abrahams made a goal score in return. Unless my stats are incorrect, I think he's played two, scored two. So not off to a bad start. My stats might be wrong, but I know he has scored yeah, twice. Yeah, he's uh, definitely made three caps. Oh, he's made, well, two in he's, three still isn't bad, let's be honest. Pretty sure it's... That sounds about right. He's definitely played through at least three games. But. So a 5 nil win was pretty much what we expected. It's what we got. It was just nice to see us do it with essentially our second string instead of our first. Whereas I remember the Hungry game last time where we basically played the vast majority of our second string and then had to bring our first string off the bench to get the result. Moving on to this time around playing Hungry, it was a very different kettle of fish. If any of you follow us on our Facebook page, you will see that Dan and I did a live coverage of it and talked endlessly through it. But we'll run through our thoughts again now for anyone who hasn't caught us and only listens to us on the pod. So, Dan, do you want to go ahead with your thoughts first on Hungary versus England? No, I don't even know where to start. I, I, I think, you know, on this podcast, I've been uh, an eager to defend Southgate, but, yeah, he he, he set himself apart in the um, 
the tactics, the way he lined up, we questioned when the team sheet came out. The Foden, Graylish, Mount combination. I understand why he wants them all on the pitch at the same time. I don't think you can. And then one of the things that we kept saying on the live stream was when he brought off Graylish and brought on Saka, he moved Sterling over and we looked we looked better and then took Sterling off for Jordan Henderson and it completely killed any intent that we had. And um, yeah, I can't really, def- I don't know how to defend him this week. It, just, it was just slow and I could see what he was trying, but you know, you've got to change it when it doesn't work. I think the problem for me was the lack of tactical discipline in the centre, particularly in the centre of midfield. Because like you said, when we saw the lineup, we were looking at it and we were wondering how they were going to line up in midfield. And it very much seemed to me to be a 4-1-4-1, which we don't play because both Mount and Foden were essentially supposed to be playing advanced of the central midfield. But Foden spent the vast majority of his time out on the right Mount spent the vast majority of his time on the left covering for Graylish when Graylish went walkies. And at one point, it, we were so lopsided that we had Graylish, Foden and Sterling on the right, Mount in the middle and Luke Shaw all on his own on the left of midfield. So I, I, th- I think there needs to be a little bit more discipline there. Obviously, these are still quite young players. We're talking Foden and Mount. So I think that they definitely needed a little more tactical discipline. And that will come with time. I appreciate what Gareth Southgate was trying to do. I think he got it. I think he massively misjudged it. I think he should have started with his usual formation. And then when we'd got into a, a solid position, maybe 2 0 up, he could have experimented a bit more in the second half and pushed players further forward or maybe played 4 1 4 1 in the second half. I actually got a, a bit of a controversial view, and I doubt you'll agree with me on this, but I actually think that Jack Graylish is the problem for England. A lot of people are talking about Harry Kane. But I actually think it's Jack Graylish. And my reason is he seems to lack complete tactical awareness. I saw him, particularly against Hungary, he gets his, when he receives the ball, he gets his head down. He doesn't look up and assess the play that's in front of him. He just wants to get the ball and drive. And I've seen him drive into central midfield. I've seen him go from one side of the pitch to the other, then lose the ball or get fouled or win a free kick. But he's leaving England completely lopsided. And I also think having him in the side also is detrimental to Raheem Sterling, who, as I've openly said, I'm not a fan of, but he is our most effective player. And I think he proved against Hungary, when you play him wide right as a winger, he is completely ineffective. I think he put in one good cross all game. His main game, since he went to Manchester City and in his best games for England, has been attacking the box from the left-hand side, coming in off the left and, and cutting in and attacking the far post and getting on the end of crosses and stuff like that. That's how he's been so effective. And now Jack Graylish has come in and Gareth Southgate uh, has said that he believes that Jack Graylish can only play on the left. He's not disciplined enough to play in the middle. I think it's detrimental to Sterling. So I think they need to put Graylish back on the bench and uh, bring him on again if Sterling's not doing the business because I think it leaves them completely lopsided. I don't know what your thoughts are, Dan. No, I mean, I think some of the things you said about Graylish might be harsh in terms of that he doesn't look up and stuff. I, I do understand what you mean. I, I see Graylish as an impact player for England. So, again, like like you, you just said, to finish off your point, I, I wouldn't start him because it looks very unbalanced when he's a wide man. I think if you are going to start Graylish, then you play him as that player tucked in behind Kane with freedom. But would you pick him over Phil Foden? No, I'd rather have Foden all day. I'd even rather have Mason Mount there. 
So I, I don't think there's necessarily room for Graylish, an impact player. Brilliant. You know, you bring him on 15 minutes and the defence are tired, 25 minutes. He can make a difference. He showed that during the Euros when he came on in a few games. But I wouldn't start. I think Saka, Sancho, Rashford, when Rashford's back and fit, they're better options out there. Sterling has to play off the left. Southgate wants to play him off the right. He, he needs to be playing off the left. Again, as I said in the original conversation about Hungary, he, when he, we moved him over to the left, you could see that they were very nervy of him coming in. And if I'm correct, there was a chance for someone. It was him, wasn't it? He, the ball went over the top. He beat the defender's run and just couldn't quite... He tried to tap it over uh, around the keeper, didn't he? Sterling did, yes. Yeah, yeah. I know um, what you're talking about. Yep. You know, on another day, that probably ends up in the net. So that was happening. And then all of a sudden, he brings Sterling off for Jordan Henderson. And we're back to seriously wonky again. We've got Tammy up front and Mason and Phil Foden on one wing and Makayo on the right. And then Tammy got injured for Ollie and it all become a bit of a bit of a shit show, really. And um, the game drew to the last 10 minutes. If there was going to be a winner, it was going to be hungry. So back to the drawing board for Southgate. Luckily, luckily, whatever you want to say, England's next game is home to Albania and I think away to San Marino. So two games that we should see through not easily. Well, maybe easily, you know, not without, not that we can coast, but two games we should expect to get through with relative ease. Absolutely. I just hope that his in-game management improves from this point on. Because like you said, the, the, the decision after moving Sterling over and Sterling being immediately more effective like you said, he had a chance. I think he had sort of a half chance as well where he could have got in, but a defender cleared it. He immediately became more effective. And we'd been talking for about 10 minutes beforehand about we needed somebody in the centre of midfield to provide an extra out, an, an extra option because Declan Rice was the only central midfielder and Hungary had basically marked him out of the game so he couldn't get the ball off of the defenders. So we were calling for a central midfielder to come on he then brings on, in my opinion, the wrong central midfielder for the wrong yep. player. It should, Jordan Henderson, I'm sorry, we've talked about it on the pod before. In my opinion now, his time has passed. James Ward-Prowse is more than good enough to take over from Jordan Henderson. So he made completely the wrong substitutions. I feel a bit sorry for Tammy Abrahams because he came on and then basically immediately got injured and had to come straight back off again near enough. It was nice, I must admit, to see Gareth Southgate bite the bullet and actually substitute Harry Kane, because everybody talks about Harry Kane and how good he is and how out of sorts he is at the moment. We've touched on that several times. There's no need to go back into it. But one thing I will ask before we move on to a different subject is I've looked at Jack Graylish's stats. He's played 17 times for England, scored once, and assisted twice. So if those stats that I've read are correct, that's his England record. Is that good enough for him to warrant a start over Rashford, Sancho, and to misplace Sterling on the right? Uh, see, this is where I probably have a strange opinion. If you'd look at those 17 stats, how many of them are starts? Three, four, probably. How, and then how long is he coming on for? I, as I said, I personally don't think he should start. I can understand why people want him to start. I think he's better off not starting. But I think, again, it's difficult. Me, I'm a bit of a statistician. I like looking at stats. But I think sometimes you've got to sit back and think that those stats are maybe not that accurate. Yes, it says 17 games, but that's not 17 games worth of minutes, if you know what I mean. So 
I personally wouldn't start him. As I said, I, I my choice of wingers, if everyone's fit, is probably Sterling off the left, Saka off the right, and then Rashford is the, the man to to swap in. And then you also, if you're playing a team where you know pace and you know skill is going to affect their wing-backs, then you play Sancho before before you even consider playing Grealish out there, for me personally. And um, the other thing that I just want to pop, pop in about the Hungry game, is something that we discussed during our live stream, and this is something no England fan would have thought they'd say 18 months ago. We've really missed Calvin Phillips in that midfield. Absolutely, um, yes. Sitting next to Declan Rice. Uh, so you cut, you counted, you touched on uh, Mason Mount kind of being marked out of the game. There was a lot of time when the defence got the ball, the Hungarian strike force, the front three, went, came really narrow and would sit just in front of Declan Rice or even just behind him. And there was... The defenders then couldn't pass to him and there wasn't that second option because Mount and Foden and Grealish were all a lot higher up. There wasn't that second option, which is, again, like, as you said, where James Ward-Prowse would have come in handy. But I felt Calvin Phillips was a, was a big loss. Again, something that I didn't really think I'd ever say. Even like I said it to you on the stream, but it is true that you've got to rest him. Even like Jude Bellingham. See, I know rested because of his minutes and his age and stuff, but that just someone... Because Jude Bellingham has proven he can play that role. We, we definitely missed that body, and I agree that James Ward-Prowse probably should have come on, if not started, arguably. Uh, if it was me, I would have started Ward-Prowse, and I wouldn't have started uh, Graylish or Mount, personally, but each to their own. I, I've got to agree. I, I, what baffles me even more about James Ward-Prowse being left out was how good he was against Andorra. I know it was only Andorra, but he was constantly moving the ball. He was coming to the defenders, picking the ball up off of them playing the ball off in midfield and moving. And then all of a sudden for the next game to come along and for him to be left on the bench for the whole game, I found it a little bit bizarre. I think we can just safely say it was an expected six points and a disappointing four. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean, listen, I pointed out before on this podcast that I think Hungary are underrated by many, but I did still expect England to, to come out with six points and it, it was a massive disappointment again. I read absolutely nothing coming out of the Andorra game based on the opponent. Hungary was the game to watch, in my opinion, and it didn't work. So um, let's hope, fingers crossed, that he learns and can move on. Moving on from England, and the Balloon Dior shortlist has been announced, as well as the Copper Trophy, which I'm assuming is the under-21 equivalent, judging by the names that are on the list. So what we'll do is, instead of running off the list and and then picking a name I, I will read the list off to you and then we'll agree or disagree as whether they deserve to be on the list or not and then we'll Sounds pick good. who we think is going to be the winner and we'll do it for both trophies as well so we'll I know, start... but can I just say so just yep. before um, I know who I think should win the Ballon d'Or I don't think they will but I know who I definitely think should win it right, we'll, go with the list and we'll get to that we'll I get hope to he's that. on there <laughs> right We'll start off with the list. The first name is Cesar Aspilicueta, uh, the Chelsea defender and European Cup winner. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with that. I think I think he was someone that was, this is almost like, um, redemption's the wrong word, but people are saying, oh, you know, he's getting past it. Chelsea will move on. Spain will move on. And um, arguably both Chelsea's best defender during last season and Spain's best defender at the Euros. I think he deserves his spot. I'm a bit baffled on that one. I've got to admit, I'm, I'm not knocking his talent or his professionalism or what he's achieved in his career, but Balloon Dior for Cesar Azpilicueta, I don't think so. The next one on the list is 
Italy midfielder slash forward Nicolo Barella. What do we think on that one? Good Euros, um, Euro winner. I mean, Euros was good, but I'll, I'll be completely honest. I pay absolutely no attention to the Syria outside of like if a big team is playing another big team. So it's it's not a league on my radar. So I mean, I know he's a very good player and obviously featured uh, at the Euros. Looked okay. Looked uh, you know decent. Uh, but I can't honestly can't tell you anything about his club club form. I, uh, to be honest, I think there's a lot of Italian names on this list. I think they're there purely because they won the Euros. If I'm honest with you, uh, next up is Real Madrid and France forward Karim Benzema. I, me personally, I think he deserves to be on that list. He's been in sensational form for Real Madrid since Ronaldo left, and I don't think you can argue that he deserves to be there. But Dan, your your yeah, your no, word? He has uh, he has 32 goals in. 40 league games. That, that'll do for me. That's just league. That's not including cups, Champions Leagues. And obviously his return to the France squad and has scored goals. If you ignore France's kind of Euro exit, yeah, I think he totally deserves his place on this list. Yeah, I agree. Next one up is Leonardo Bonucci, the Juventus and Italy centre-half. Again, another Euro winner. Do we think he should be on the list? Yeah, we might as well do both centre-backs because I think Cellini's next on the list I've got. So I'm assuming... Chiellini is also on the list, yep. I mean, yeah, look, again, undoubted the pressure on them going into the Euros about whether they'd passed it and they looked sensational. Italy's defence was very hard to break down. So, yeah, no problem with that. I think this next one I think we're both going to agree on is Kevin De Bruyne. And I think we both said on the last podcast that we think he's the best midfielder in the Premier League. And he's got to be on there, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, again, like... What can you say? You know, if the one of the best teams in Europe struggles without him, yeah, no problem there. Next one up is Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm a bit funny on this one because he's done fantastic goal scoring wise for Manchester United. He's not next he's, to my list, but <laughs> he's did really well for Juventus. He scored a lot of goals, even though they did sell him. Because that, I think that was more financially motivated than anything else. And he scored goals for fun for Portugal. So he deserves to be on there. From my perspective, I know this is a bit odd coming from a Manchester United fan. He's 36 now. Lionel Messi is also on this list and we'll get to him in a minute. But I'm just thinking maybe it's time. He's 36. He's coming to the end of his career. He's still performing admirably. But I think it's maybe time to leave him and Lionel Messi off the list now and move on to the next generation. Dan? No, I mean, I, I, the opposite. I think he's still him and Messi... Uh, I have to look at Messi's numbers at some point, but Ronaldo's numbers still scream amazing to me for club and country. So I think he deserves to be on the list. The next one up on the list is the centre-back that Dan thinks is the best in the Premier League currently, which is Ruben Diaz. I mean, yep. we, we, we talked about it last <laughs> week. He's nothing short of phenomenal, isn't he? So I would go as far to say as he's the heir apparent to Giorgio Chiellini in terms of world-class defender status. Yeah, Um I think he pretty much has hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think he's the, the next up-and-coming huge centre-back. Um, has proven a point at a very big club in terms of like you know their current spot, not the size of their club. Um, so I don't, I don't have a problem with it. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not the best, as in he won't win it. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him be high up in the voting when it comes down. I think to he big deserves pressure. to be on the list. The next one up is Gianluigi Donnarumma, the young Italian goalkeeper. Again, another Euros winner and transferred for no money but big wages to PSG. Do we do we think he deserves to be on the list? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, a fantastic Euros league form. Again, don't watch Serie A, so can't comment. But um, well, he's in got France, so... to, but he was obviously last season, which is the majority. This is based off the majority of his play from last season. Yeah, I mean, fine, no problem with it. A keeper's never going to win Ballon d'Or, is he? It's highly unlikely, but I think he deserves his place. Next one up is Bruno Fernandes. I think he definitely deserves to be there. He's in Bruno Fernandes to Manchester United, and a lot of people don't talk about it, but his numbers for Sporting, Sporting. Uh, his numbers at Sporting were phenomenal, just as phenomenal as they are at Manchester United. So for me personally, there's no doubt that he should be in the running. Dan? Yeah, I completely agree. Listen, as we talked about on that podcast, he's ch- he changed Man United from that side that everyone kind of laughed at to a side that everyone went, oh, hello. You know, you know what I mean? Like, he came into the question. So yeah, for me, absolutely no doubt in my mind that he deserves to be there. The next one on the list is an extraordinary talent but I don't understand why he's on this list. And that's Phil Foden of Manchester City. We've seen how fantastically talented he, it, he is, but I don't think he should be anywhere near a Balloon Dior at the moment. Do you? No, I think it's a, it's a little bit too early for him. I assume he's on the Golden Boy list, which is the other trophy. I don't think um, he, he's not, but I think that might be because he's turned 21. I think that might be why. He definitely made a step last year and became a much better player for club and country. But yeah, I think this list, might be one step too far for him. Next up is the goal machine. Let's be the amount of goals this man scores is ridiculous. It's Erling Haaland. I think he's got to be in with a shout of winning this surely because his goal scoring record it's it's phenomenal. This is something that I was part of a debate with my friends group. He won't get it, and I wonder if he had done this not at Dortmund and at one of Europe's bests he probably would win it. And I think because he's at Dortmund, he might not necessarily get the votes. So you think um, if he done it for Bayern instead of Dortmund? I think if he does it for Bayern, if he does it for PSG, Man United, Barcelona, it's his. But he's done it at Dortmund, so it won't be his. He's got he, 47 goals in 48 Dortmund appearances. That's disgusting. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. He's 21. <laughs> Next on the list is Chelsea and Italian slash Brazil midfielder Jorginho. Uh, again, uh, an, another European Cup winner and uh, a Euro. Sorry, it's not European Cup in anymore, is it? It's the UEFA Champions League and Euros twenty twenty winner. Jorginho, what do we think, Dan? Does he deserve a pop? Yeah, I've changed my mind on Jorginho in the last year. I think I touched it on a different podcast that we did. I think I've seen a big difference in him over the last year. He commands the pitch for both club and country. Uh, yeah, I think he absolutely deserves a spot on this list. I, I think he deserves it too. Harry Kane's also made the list. You can't deny he's a goal-scoring machine. He's he's not got he's not doing Mbappe or Haaland numbers, but he's still a goal-scoring machine. To be honest, had he probably got his move to Manchester City, he probably would be hitting those kind of numbers. I think. Do we think he deserves to be there though? I mean, he wasn't amazing at the Euros. He scored a lot of goals for Tottenham, but they're at Tottenham. It's not like he's in the Champions League for the last few years. What do you reckon? Uh, I mean, I still think he deserves to make the list. I think he's probably at the bottom of the list. 23 Oops. Premier League goals. I think there's eight goals in European football. I know he played in the Euro for the Euro League, but that's still eight goals. And there's a handful in English cuts. I mean, I think he deserves to be on the list, but he's at the bottom end of that list for me. Absolutely. I don't think he should be on the list personally, but everybody, each to their own. Next one is probably the first Premier League player I would sign if I was the manager of any club. And that's N'Golo Kante. Not the most 
fashionable name in the world. Not the most fashionable player in the world, but I still think he's one of the best in the world. Uh, like we said on the previous pod, he's only second to Kevin De Bruyne in the Premier League and probably second to De Bruyne in the world. So he deserves it for me. What about you, Dan? Yeah, again, I think um, probably the most underrated player. And I'm hoping in 10, 15 years' time, when people look back at this era of football, he's not forgotten because yeah, I love him. I think he's right up there with Claude McAuley, personally, I think. The next one is completely out of left field. I think I understand why they've put him on, and I'll explain why in a second. But it's Denmark's Simon Kier. I think, obviously, with what happened around Christian Eriksen and how he reacted and the, the role he played in potentially saving Christian Eriksen's life, as well as dealing with every, the aftermath, I think that's why he's on... The, the, the list. He's not a bad player, but I, I personally wouldn't have him up for a balloon Dior. No. Again, I, I think him and especially him and Kasper Michael, the way they dealt with the situation, deserve a special accreditation, especially him. Uh, you know, I'd give him a, a completely separate award, like a humanitarian kind of award, whatever the Danish version of a knighthood is, all this stuff. Not a Ballon d'Or list. I get the sentiment. I just wonder if it could be done slightly differently. I mean, the bloke's a hero that he He's kept someone alive at the end of the day. Absolutely. So, yeah, full credit to him, but Ballon d'Or. I mean, again, it's a sentiment. I wouldn't be surprised if he picks up a fair amount of votes because of that alone. But yeah, not for me. Next up on the list, because this is actually quite an extensive list, Robert Lewandowski. I mean, to be honest, I mean, for me, he's another absolute goal-scoring machine, a complete freak of nature. He's in really good shape as well. A lot of people don't talk about how physically fit he is because he just they just see him as a goal poacher. He's very strong, very fit, and he should have won it last year, but there wasn't one because of the pandemic. Do you want to know a stupid fact that this is probably going to blow your mind? Go on. Robert Lewandowski has never been in the top three of a Ballon d'Or vote. That's ridiculous. He should have won it. Like I said, he should have won it last year, let's be honest. Not only has he never won one, he's never made a top three. And you look at his goal record, he scored 41, 34, 22, 29, 30, 30 and 17. 20, 24, 22 in his last 10 seasons. That's just in league games. In the Champions League, he had 18 at Dortmund in 20 games and 60 and 70 Champions League games from Munich. He's an absolute animal. Internationally, he has 72 goals for Poland. Never made a top three in his whole... That's mad. Yeah. Uh, I've put it out there now. He's my Ballon d'Or winner this year. (laughs) I will put it out here now as well so we won't have this conversation later. He also wins it for me as well. Not not only for his performances, but he should have won it last year. So I think he deserves I mean, it. He, again, is someone that I don't know if he gets them because he's not maybe stylish on the national stage because he plays for Poland or not a big country. I hope in 20 years' time when we're talking about great strikers from the past, he gets a mention because he really is. And to do it at his age as well, he keeps getting better, scores more goals. He's getting older. He's actually he's like a fine wine. Next up on the list is Romelu Lukaku. We spoke about our admiration for Romelu Lukaku on previous pods. His goal-scoring record last year for Inter and for Belgium at the Euros was massively impressive, even though Belgium didn't get that far. So he obviously deserves to be there. I can't imagine you disagree with that one, Dan. Absolutely fine with that. Next one up is Riyad Mahrez of Manchester City. I mean, he he was fantastic last year. He hasn't, I don't think he's started a game this year. I may be wrong. But I think he's spent the whole season on the bench thus far. Does he deserve to be in there? I mean, he got to a Champions League final. I don't know if he won an African Nations Cup or anything. 
No, they're African Cup of Nations is this year. I wouldn't put them on the list, but I mean, yeah, someone has, obviously. Um, I don't know how the list is comprised. I wouldn't put him on there. Next up is Romelu Lukaku's strike partner in Milan, which is Lautaro Martinez. I think he's a cracking player. Not sure he deserves to be on this shortlist. He's the one I'm surprised Manchester City didn't sign because he seems like the natural replacement to Aguero for me. Scored a handful of goals last year. Did well for Argentina last year as well. Again, it's the same problem I said earlier on. Serie A is not my strong point, so I can't really comment. I mean, I think he's a wonderful talent from what I've seen of him, but yeah. Next up is the man who has been caught in a lot of controversy lately for a variety of reasons, but I definitely think he deserves to be on this list. Is Kylian Mbappe. His goal scoring for Paris Saint-Germain is bananas, isn't it? He's another one up there with the Haaland's and the Lewandowski's. Didn't you say it was something like 88 goals in 89 games or something ridiculous yeah, like that mental. for Paris Saint-Germain? It's absolutely bonkers. Any objections to that one? No, hell no. <laughs> Next one on the list is Lionel Messi. I brought him up a little bit earlier. Just my personal opinion. I just think it's time to move away from Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. My understanding is he hasn't started that well at PSG. I don't think he's played many games. I think three. he's only he's no, one off the bench. three and he's scored one goal, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's got any assists. My understanding is he hasn't quite looked like the Messi of old, but to be fair, he's 34. He's starting at a new club in a new lifestyle. And that PSG team, as we discussed, I think it was on the last podcast. Last one, it's yeah. Pre, it's quite disjointed, that team at present. But I'm guessing you won't argue with him being included, Dan. No, I mean, 30 goals in 35 league appearances, five in six Champions League games. And he finally got hold of the uh, Copa, well, I don't know what it's called. Is it Copa America? Copa Libertadores? No, that's the Champions League. I think it's the Copa America. That's their version. The Copa Libertadores is their version of the Champions League. Um, Right, gotcha. Whatever the South American Championships are, Argentina finally won it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think he deserves to be on it. The next one up is a player I've loved for a long time, but I don't understand why he's on this list. And that's Luka Modric. He's got to be about 36 now. Things haven't been fantastic at Real Madrid. He's still a massive talent, but he's really coming to the end of his career. Can you see why he's on this list? I mean, he's still a wonderfully technically, uh, technical player. But, yeah, Madrid haven't had a great year. Croatia were underwhelming at the Euros. But, I mean, still a fantastic player and still looked good from the games that I saw. So I can understand why he's on the list, but there probably worse better options about. The next one up is another one that I'm really not sure about because I don't follow Spanish football at all. Gerard Moreno, if I'm correct, he's a Villarreal striker, is that right? Yeah. Apparently he's got quite a good record in La Liga for goals the last year or two. And for his country, to be fair. Have you got any information on him? Because I'm... Nonplussed on this one. Yeah, I mean, I I watched La Liga. Well, did they've changed the channel now, so I can't watch it this year. But I watched it a bit last year. He scored thirty three goals in thirty one league uh, games last year. I think it was seven in eleven in the European Cup. What's it called? The Europa League, which obviously uh, he defeated United. Went to the Euros and played wide, which is a bit strange. But uh, yeah, no, had a, he had a really strong season, kind of a breakout season. So. Yeah, Quite late in his career, if, I'm, if, yeah, if I understand I, right. But he could be one of them that might be one and done. I said I haven't watched it this year just on the basis that I don't have access to it anymore. Mason Mount of England has also made the list. 
I love Mason Mount. I'm not quite sure what kind of player he's meant to be. I don't know whether he's a 10 or an 8 or, you know, whether he's a Deli Alley type or whether he's supposed to be like a David Silva type. I'm not quite sure, but I don't think he needs to be. I don't think he should be on this list. I think he's on it because he won the Champions League, to be honest. I think he probably deserves, I personally would say he deserves to be on there. Uh, I think he was a very bright spark in, in a Chelsea team that, struggled at the beginning of the season and he was the one that kept them ticking over. You know, when Lampard did get results at the beginning of last season, it was it was with him. The only other one that maybe could replace him, you could argue, was Kai Havertz, who obviously ended up winning the Champions League for Chelsea. He really broke out towards the back end of last year. Yeah, I, I don't really complain with this one. And it's not English bias because someone before someone says it because I've already said that Foden shouldn't be on there. The next one, I'm convinced shouldn't be on it. And that's Neymar. We talked about what an enigma he is in the last ma- in the last pod. He's completely erratic. His injury record is not very good. Did he tear it up for PSG last year when he was fit? Or uh, he he was injured for a lot. He played eighteen league games last year. So why he is he on nine, Balloon Dior? Scored nine goals, and for his country, he played eleven, scored five. I don't know why he's on the list. He's done well in Europe and six goals in nine games, but surely that's not enough football to be on this list. It can't be, surely, can it? That one baffles me. The next one up is Pedri. I'm not sure why he's on this list either. Fantastic talent, but he's about 17, 18 years old, I think, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's 18, but he had played a full season for Barcelona last year. He played 37 games, pulled them by the scruff of their neck to the Champions League, uh, had a fantastic season, got in the Spain team and bossed the Euros when Spain played well. It's because Pedri played well, he's 18. I'm a huge fan of him. I, I personally think he deserves to be on the list. I probably would have put him on the younger players. Is he list, on the young? I don't know. I haven't seen that list at all. I'm hoping he's on there. I'm, I'm going to come up with that one in a minute. The next one up is Mohamed Salah, a player that I stated last week is probably the best player on the planet at the moment. So I've got no argument with him being there. He's a former Premier League winner, a Champions League winner. His stats are insane for Liverpool they're not up there with Haaland's and Lewandowski's numbers but he's still doing excellent numbers for a wide they're not far off in fairness no (laughs) so I can't see that one he should be there Dan yeah no completely agree there's no arguments there what talent next one up is another England player who I don't think should be on there and I'm not saying this just to hate on England but it's Raheem Sterling if, if I remember rightly, he spent the last half of last season on the bench from Manchester City. Hasn't been that effective. And I think he's basically on this list because of his performances for England and not for Manchester City. Would I be wrong in saying that? Do you agree? No, I, I agree. And even then, like we have a laugh and I've said it on the podcast. Raheem Sterling has not been good for England. He's just scored. <laughs> he's the most effective player we've got. He's not fantastic. I've said personally... On a previous part, I think he's massively overrated. Uh, you, I know you and Pete disagreed with me, but no, there is no doubt he is England's most effective player, and um, which it, comes back to our point of what we were talking the, about Jack Grealish earlier. The thing that bothers me of him is he can play in a game 70 minutes and you'll go, he's playing crap, get him off. But that means he's about to score. Yep. <laughs> We've done that several times watching England. <laughs> We're just like, oh, Ryan Sterling, you're useless, get him off. And then five minutes later, he's popped up with I, a goal. Well, there, what game was it? There was a game... The last set of internationals, it might have been Poland. I remember putting in a cra- in the group chat, like, oh, Sterling's played crap. That means he'll score in a minute. And then all of a sudden, the ball was in the back of the net and we all went, there yep. it is. 
And the last name on the list is Atletico Madrid's Luis Suarez. Now this, uh, he's got to be on there for me. Yes, he's old. Barcelona, how they let him go on a freebie. Terminated his contract and he just waltzed over to Atletico Madrid, spanked the league, scored ridiculous amounts of goals. He deserves to be there, doesn't he? Let's be honest. It's shithousery at the highest form. And, and I mean, for that, fair play. I, I'm not a fan of, of, of Luis Suarez. Being a Man United fan, I'm never going to be after the, uh, the Patrice Everett incident and, and all that that went on with it. I'm never going to be a Luis Suarez fan, but he deserves to be on there. So we're agreed. It, it should go to Lewandowski. Yes? Yeah, I mean, Lewandowski, Haaland. Um, so you made my point about Haaland. Yeah, they're the two for me. Right, so we will move on to the Copper Trophy, which I'm assuming is the under-21 equivalent. There are names on this that I have not heard of or that I've only heard of in transfer rumours. So if you know any more about these, then please do feel free to chuck in, Dan. We'll start off with someone that I don't know, Nuno Mendes. Do you know who he is? Yeah, Nuno Mendes, a young left-back from Sporting who has recently moved to... PSG, expected to be Europe's next big thing. Um, from what I've seen of him, he looks does look good. So hopefully he sees through his potential room with his young Portuguese lad. I think he played for Europe, Portugal at the Euros. So, yeah. Deserves to be there then? Yeah, fantastic player. Next player coming up is a player I actually really rate really highly. Unfortunately, he doesn't get the same level of attention that I think he should because he's played in the team with Jaden Sancho, Alfinger Haaland, not Alfinger Haaland, sorry. I'll say Haaland, I can't remember his, his first name now. Uh, and he's currently playing alongside uh, another name on the list with Jude Bellingham. But that's Giovanni Rayner of Borussia Dortmund. I really like him. I, I think he's massively underrated, even though he's obviously on this list. He doesn't get the attention. I think he's fantastic. I think he's going to be a massive star. And I think he's also the son of Claudio, the, of Claudio Rayner, who used to play for Manchester City and Sunderland, I think, wasn't it? If, yep, if, he is. If, if, my mem- if my information is correct, he's actually eligible to play for England because he was born in Sunderland. He would have been, but he's capped by America at uh, first team level in an official game. Dan. Yeah, fantastic player. Again, as you said, probably underrated because he's surrounded by Haaland, Bellingham, Sancho at one point. Really rate him if he can stay fit because he's had a few injury problems, but he's been very important for America in their games as well. So, yeah, I mean... Totally deserves his spot in the team. Next up on the list is a player that I just mentioned. It's Jude Bellingham. I think we all love, as England fans, we love Jude Bellingham. We think he's going to be massive. I'm going to be interested to see how much he returns to England for because I think he's going to cost an oh, absolute shit fortune. <laughs> <laughs> any any qualms on him being shortlisted, Dan? No, no, none at all. I think you saw his England debut at 17. Didn't look out of place when he came on in international games, doesn't look out of place, looks great in the Champions League, looks great in the Bundesliga. I mean, you could see when he was 16 at Birmingham, I remember he played Cholton and granted everyone looks good against Cholton, but you could really see this kid is special. Yeah, no problems. The next one is another name that I know nothing about. I'm I'm openly admit to that. It's Florian Wurtz, is it? You need to see this kid. He's mental. Uh, He plays for Leverkusen. Youngster plays just off the striker. I think he's got a good goal record. But I think he's got four and six this year so far. Made his German debut this year. He's going to be a real, real talent. He's 18. 
watch out for him. He's going to be scary for Germany. Germany have got some good youngsters and he's definitely up there. There's another one on this list that will join him. I think we're just actually about to talk about him because there is, it does seem to be quite heavily Bundesliga linked, this, this list. There's quite a few on there. Is Jamal Musiala, I'm going to say that's his name, is a former England youth player who went over to Bayern Munich uh, as a youngster. I don't know who they signed him from. I think it might have been Tottenham. I'm not sure. Chelsea. Oh, was it so Chelsea? He, um, My mistake. So he's a young German boy, born in Germany, moved to England at 10, I think it was, played for Chelsea, went back to Bayern Munich and has broke into the Munich team uh, last season and now commands a starting place. Chose Germany ahead of England, ahead of the Euros. People were a bit upset about it. At the end of the day, he was born in Germany and grew up there majority of his life, so no problem with it. Yeah, again, fantastic player. He, again, another one to watch out for. The next on the list, I believe a Dutch international, if I remember rightly. I think we saw him very briefly at the, the Euros. Uh, is, is he at Ajax or is he at PSV? Uh, it's, he's at Ajax. It's Ryan Gravenberch. Uh, not seen too much of him, but I've heard people rave about him. Anything on him, Dan? Does he deserve uh, to be so there? I, I don't honestly know a lot about Ajax. So I'm going to go to what I know best, which is football manager. Wonder Kid statement. He's someone on you sign. He's a must sign. I know in real life he's, he's got a tendency to see some cards and I think has had injury problems, but was has played so far this season. So, yeah, from what I've heard and from what I've seen on Foot Manager, Wonder Kid and FM do often get these kind of things right. So, Well, this yeah, is the Wonder out. Kid list, apparently. So he obviously deserves to be there. Next one up, I've no idea who this is. I've seen his name mentioned in a lot of transfer talk, especially in the past uh, transfer window. Jeremy Doku, any news on, yep. on him, Dan? Doku. Do we know who he is? He's a, a young Belgian lad who I think joined Rennes last year. Obviously, they were in the Champions League. Yeah, really good player, young winger. I think he may have been at the Euros as well, 19. Has just broke into the Belgian squad. Was at Anderlecht, another one that FM rave over. I like him from what I've seen of him. He came on, as I said, at the Euros, looked good. I think he may have started at the Euros as well. So, yeah, I mean, why not? Next on the list is a player who made essentially the Bloom Dior list, the senior list. Uh, we've already talked about which is Pedri, so he's made Give both lists. He wins um, by Dan says Pedri wins, <laughs> so that's, that's understandable. Next on the list is England's very own Bukayo Saka. Does he deserve to be there? Is he? As... I, I'd say he does, but read into it what you will. I I, I really like Bukayo Saka. I think for someone that can play in so many positions. He plays them all very well. And also he was a shining light. I love Bukayo Saka. I think he deserves to be on the list. For someone that can play in so many positions, really rate him. I thought he looked good for England. Obviously, it's scarred by the penalty missed. I don't know why they gave. Well, we won't go down that list, uh, down that line. I love Bukayo Saka. And yeah, deservedly so, in my opinion. I think he's a fantastic talent. I'm not sure his goal ratio or his assist ratio necessarily merits him being on this. But... I do have sympathy for him, especially after Chiellini tried to cut his head off with his own T-shirt at the Euros. That looked painful. And the final name on the list is, uh, I was surprised to see this, but I'm a massive fan, is Mason Greenwood of Manchester United. No shock I'm a fan there. He's, he's an extraordinary talent. Probably one of the best finishers I've seen come out of England in quite a while. Just the way his composure in front of goal off of both feet it is something very special and it baffles me. I know Man United signed Ronaldo and Ronaldo scored a lot of goals. And I know we've got Cavani, but 
for me, Mason needs to be getting at least half an hour every game up front. He shouldn't be on the right wing anymore. Dan, have you got any arguments on him being on this list? No, I don't know how anyone can argue. As you said, he's a finish. Like he should be United's starting striker, you know, for the future and England. It's just he's a magnet to the goal, isn't he? Can't, I don't think you can complain at him being on this list. No, absolutely not. So I didn't give my winner for that one, should I? Quickly running down the list. You know what? It's oh, it's it's a really difficult one because there's some real amazing young talent there. How can you pick? That's the biggest problem. I mean, to me, as I said to me, it's Pedri all day long. I love all those players that the ones that I'm aware of, but Pedri, he's I he's a real, real talent. Think I think I'm gonna give it to Giovanni Rea. I think he's been like I said, he's been massively overlooked because of the other people he's playing with. So, yeah, we'll see who the winners are, but I, I'm going with Rayner for that one. And Dan, you're going for Pedri. Up next, quick topic of conversation is, just want to give out, there was some sad news announced this week in the English League, which was Bournemouth midfielder David Brooks, he's a Welsh international, has uh, been diagnosed with grade two let me make sure I get the pronunciation right. Hodgkin's Grade 2 Hodgkin lymphoma, which I understand is cancer uh, of the lymphatic system. The, the prognosis is uh, supposed to be positive and he hopes to be back playing as, as soon as he can. But it's never nice to hear that anybody's fallen ill to anything. And it's something that keeps coming up because I, mean, I heard that Sol Bamba recently had a battle against cancer. There was a He's few back years now, though. Like, good, good for him. It was a few years back. I can't remember who it was now, but there was someone, it was well documented that he had testicular cancer. But I can't remember who it was for the life of me. I'll have to Google that one. It was a few years back. I think he might have been a Sunderland player or something. There was the lad from um, West Ham who uh, sadly passed away a few years back, wasn't there? Dylan Tombides, young young lad who died of I think it was testicular cancer, wasn't it? Yeah, funnily enough, that one's just come up as on my Google. John Hartson, obviously, as well, although that was after he retired. Little article here, one of the weirdest articles I've ever come across. Top five footballers who fought back from cancer. Uh, let's have a quick look. Uh, it's never nice when, when somebody has these issues, but uh, Jonas Gutierrez of Newcastle, he was the one that I was talking about just a minute ago. He recovered and is now quite healthy and happy. Delighted to hear German Burgos. Never heard of him. He's an Atletico go Madrid midfielder at one time. Jose Francisco Molina, who's another one, former Villarreal and Levante player. Eric Abidal, obviously, is another one. Had uh, I think he needed a liver transplant or something, didn't he? Yeah, I have a memory of um, someone scoring. I think it was Daniel Alves and celebrated with his shirt. Or did Dan- Daniel Alves change his squad number? To Abidal's when Abidal retired. One that I didn't actually know about was Dutch winger Arjen Robin, who apparently was diagnosed with testicular cancer very soon after his arrival at Chelsea in 2004. I didn't know about that one. Dalton so, legend uh, Jan Kermigan as well. Blimey. Had testicular it's, cancer before it's a lot more. It's a lot more common than you think. So, fellas, do make sure you check yourselves. I know we're big on men's mental health, but do check yourself, especially when you get to my age. Old. Don't be fools. Check your balls. Right, coming up to this weekend, we're now back into domestic football. 
Dan, who have Charlton got this weekend? Uh, I'm going. We are away at Lincoln. Um, we're going to get stuffed. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going. I'm travelling up tomorrow night, ready to, to watch us lose. Uh, Lincoln haven't started great, but um, if you followed the podcast, you'll know neither of Charlton. I'm expecting a loss, but I'm, I'm happy to be shown otherwise. But yeah, Lincoln away it is for us. In the Premier League, Watford kick off the return of the Premier League against Liverpool. Watford, obviously, has just appointed Claudio Ranieri, who we touched on. I think, like, was it last week we touched on it very briefly? Can we see Watford winning that one? Nope. Um, the other game in the Premier League that interests me, Brentford have Chelsea at home. I will be on a train, but I will 100% be watching that game on my phone. Brentford are fun at home and Chelsea are a fun team to watch. Uh, in terms of Football League, as, as the resident Football League guy, if you're at home Friday night, you're a bit bored, you want to watch a football match that might end up in a punch, West Brom are playing Birmingham uh, at 8pm on Friday night. That could end up as a Midlands punch-up. That's a game to watch out for. Uh, Sheffield United also play Stoke in the Championship, which is lined up to be a good game. Fulham QPR, I think, this weekend as well. So a few derbies knocking around in the Football League. So do we think Brentford are going to give Chelsea a good run or do we think Chelsea are going to walk them? I think Chelsea will beat them, but I don't think it's going to be pretty by any stretch of the imagination. I think personally, I've enjoyed watching Brentford so far, but I think this might be the game where they get found out a little bit because the array of attacking talent that Chelsea have is just bananas. I, I can't see Watford draw, uh, getting a result against Liverpool either. An interesting game, which uh, maybe not a lot of people saw would be a bit of a struggle, is Southampton versus Leeds. I know Pete was quite positive after Leeds United's performance last season, and they haven't started as well this season. That one, for me, has got nil-nil written all over it. Dan, what, what do you think? I think Leeds win it. I think it's going to be ugly. I think Leeds nick it because I have no faith in Southampton. I, I would not want to watch it, but I do, as I said, I do think Leeds get the win. Another three o'clock is Brighton versus Norwich City. Given current form, I think that's a Brighton win, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Brighton look a very good team and Norwich look a very bad one. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we discussed Brighton before. You know, you have to turn up against them or they'll beat you. And I don't know if Norwich have showed up yet. So this is their time to do it. But I, I do fancy Brighton. Next up on the list is two teams arguably having a transformative year which is Aston Villa and Wolves, obviously both for different reasons. Aston Villa had to replace one player with three and Wolves have replaced the manager, the goalkeeper, and it's not started very well. Do you see a Villa win there, Dan, or a draw? It's a, it's a Midlands derby. So derbies kind of throw form out the window, but I expect Villa to still get the win, but um, derbies throw it all up in the air. But Villa should overpower them. Wolves have really struggled to score. Villa should score more. They have brilliant players. And I actually do think Villa's defence, we touched on this with Contra in the last podcast, is underrated. So, yeah, I do see Villa winning, but it wouldn't shock me if there's a result that is slightly different. Just on a little sidebar from that, as you've mentioned, there's a lot of derbies this week. right? Now, given the, the, the foreign influence at Wolves, do you think the derbies are as relevant to Wolves as they are to Aston Villa, given the the lack of homegrown players in the Wolves side? From the club, fan, club side, probably not. But if you ask every Wolves fan about a derby, they're going to want to win it. I don't think any club particularly cares about rivalries nowadays, but the fans sure do. So um, from the players, maybe not. But I hope there's someone in that changing room saying this is a lot to the fans because... 
they need it. You know, when Charlton play Mill, I know we always lose, but there's always stories before kickoff and before training, before leading up to that game. There's Johnny Jackson or Jason Yule is in the change room saying, lads, come on, this is the one the fans really want. I've seen that interview. I think it's Lee Dixon who said that when he joined Arsenal, Tony Adams said something like, whatever we do this season, we can win it all. We can win everything, but just make sure we don't lose to Tottenham. To the fact, as I said, to the fans, definitely. And to the players, I hope there's someone in there telling them how big it is because the fans don't want to lose their local games. I see an Aston Villa win on that one. Next up is Leicester City versus Manchester United. Now, both teams have got really horrendous injury problems, especially in defence. There's no Varane or Maguire for Manchester United. And I don't know if Johnny Evans is now back fit, but their first choice pairing of Johnny Evans and Fafana have been injured since the start of the season. Is Johnny Evans back? Uh, I haven't seen anything. I won't lie. It's been a whirlwind week. I haven't seen much football stuff. I expect United to win it just because Leicester have kind of been firing blanks. Defence has been struggling. Jamie Vardy Uh, has been in good form. Defence just can't hold on to anything. They played against Palace. They went two up and then just threw it. And I think you can do that against Palace. When the other team's got Sancho, Ronaldo and Greenwood and Rashford anywhere near coming back yet? I don't know, even without him. Rash- Rashford, ha- Rashford is now back training. I, I think Four. this is a Man United win just because of the yeah, amount of attacking talent that they've got. Next one up, I think, is probably going to be the biggest scoreline of the weekend is Manchester City versus Burnley. I can only see that going one way. Yeah. Dan's mimicking a, a proper spanking on here. Do we, do we reckon five or more, Dan? You, is it at City? It is indeed. It could very well be. It could very well be. Yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be quite a painful one for Burnley fans to watch. They haven't started the season well. And Manchester City or Manchester City. I stood up for Jesus on a previous podcast when we were talking about Aguero leaving and Man City not having a striker. But I think he's proved what a talent he is and he's scoring goals. So I think that's going to be a painful one. Brentford-Chelsea, we've already discussed. Everton versus West Ham, two teams that kind of bipolar in predictions, but both have done really well over the last six to 12 months. Rafa started well at Everton. Do we see a draw? Do we see a West Ham uh, win, Everton win? Uh, that, I don't want to watch that game in the slightest. No? Is it just me or does that shout nil-nil to you as well? I, I think it's a draw. I don't think... I, I, I can't pick a winner between those two. Next one is going to be... Cool. It's probably the game that I do not want to watch the most, which is going to be Newcastle versus Tottenham. Tottenham <laughs> no. are not. No, no, I don't want to watch. Tottenham are not good at all at the moment, and Newcastle are even worse. I know. I think we might see a slight improvement in performance from Newcastle, just because Mike Ashley has gone, so the atmosphere will be a bit different. New owners have obviously come in. Is it's it at a... St James's Park? I think it is. Yeah. Hold on, just let I'm me double check. It. I'm calling it Newcastle are winning this 1-0. You reckon? I don't know if they've got anyone who can score goals. Callum Wilson's not fit. You're not going to trust Joel Linton or Dwight Gale, are you? St. Maximan, it's fine. That's just a game I don't want to watch. I'm going to say 0-0, but Dan says 1-0. And the final game is Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, which is going to be an interesting one. Patrick Vieira returns to Arsenal for the first time as manager, I believe. The Crystal Palace have done a lot better than I thought they would have done. I thought they were going to get tomped this year. And Arsenal have been picking up solid uh, wins with clean sheets recently. So what's your call on that one, Dan? Because I think that will go to a draw. Arsenal 15, Palace nil. No, uh, that's wishful thinking. I I think Arsenal get a win because it's at the Emirates. 
Palace are better than I think people gave them credit for. I did say that in the season preview that I didn't think Palace would be in that much damage. No, I think Arsenal have hopefully turned a corner for their fans. Um, and I, I and I always hope any team beats Palace, but I don't think Arsenal will. Sorry, I've completely forgotten one section that we were going to do. Let's see if we can quickly squeeze this one in. I don't know if you've seen the news, Dan, but Tottenham fans recently, a Tottenham supporters club recently, approached Daniel Levy to try and get a meeting because they had a list of questions for him to answer. The, the meeting was declined by, by the chairman of Tottenham Hotspur and they've published the list of 13 questions that they wanted answers from their chairman. Some of them, uh, it, some of it's pretty benign. Some of it's pretty random stuff. They want to know about the direction of the club, where the club's heading. You know, does the board think that, that progress has gone backwards? That kind of thing. And then it, they're asking questions about fan shared ownership, about fans being able to invest in the club, e- even down to financial dealings such as what's the situation with the renaming of the stadium. Now, we all know football is, is a game of opinions. We're fans. We pay our money. We buy our tickets. We buy our shirts. We do a podcast about it. It's, it's all about opinions. But this strikes me as maybe fans thinking that they're owed more than they should be. Do, should owners be forced to sit down and have conversations with all their fans and tell them the deepest financial ins and outs of the club, do you think? Or is this a case of fans pushing their luck too far? I think it's, I think the, for me, the, it should be somewhere in the middle. I think there should be a rule in place where if you're an owner of a club, you should have a fans forum, uh, fans forum, not forum, that's not the word I'm looking for. A fans group should be a member of your board. Um, right, or okay. should be, if like, not making the decisions, but at least so that the fans' opinion is heard. Yep. I don't think you should force the conversation between fans. I think it's only positive for an owner if they have communication with a fan group. Just talking from my club, our previous owner had no communication with the fans unless he was on the club's website telling the fans to shut up. And our current owner, although he's made, you know, decisions that maybe a few decisions that are questionable or baffling, he's always come out and explained himself. And when fans have, have expressed to him this is why we think it was wrong or this is why he's changed it. For instance, like Charlton come out to the Red Red Robin, he changed it to a song that he'd wrote, especially for the club. We went back to him and said, we love the song, but, you know, don't replace the Red Red Robin. And, you know, he said, nope, of course. He put Red Red Robin back and we use his song for the second half, which is fine. So I think there's um, there's, a, there's like a happy medium, I guess the, the, the phrase would be. You don't have to necessarily discuss everything with the fans. But I think there should be a section of communication with the fans, have someone in place on your board that's linked to the fans to get open dialogue. Because I think that's the best thing for the club and the fan base when you don't have to know exactly what's going on, but you're not froze out of your club because that's when you lose connection. You know, again, talking from from myself, that period under Roland Duchatelet was, you know, we didn't know anything about the club. It was just this team. We were going to watch football on the Saturday. We didn't know what's going on. Managers were changing, players were changing like four times a year. There were stories coming out of the club like the under-18s weren't allowed to buy use drinks from the training ground and that was confirmed. They'd have to bring their own water in and stuff. You know, this. so it's good to have open communication. I think there's me, there's a happy medium. I haven't seen the questions, but um, I'm sure I'll get around to it. Maybe it's a topic for more time next week. 
yeah, definitely. If, for, from my perspective, like you said, I think there is a happy medium, but to roll up to your club just because you support it and think you can automatically get a, an audience with, with, with the chairman, you know, a, a, a person who doesn't speak too much anyway. I mean, I thought that's what AGM's for, annual general meetings. I thought fans were present at those to get answers for the year um but it, it, it just strikes me of a, of a little bit of arrogance from from this particular fans group that you can rock up with a list of 13 questions and expect them to be answered at the end of the day i know people aren't going to want to hear this but i sh- very much share simon jordan's opinion on talk sport at the end of the day football is a business yes fans play a role yes fans are heavily involved in the finances of the club from in in terms of paying into the club of course, fans have got a right to, to an opinion about their club, but I don't think it's necessarily right for them to roll up and say, here is a list of 13 questions we, we should get answered, especially when it comes to the financial dealings of the club. When it comes to the naming of the stadium, they shouldn't be rocking up and going, well, is it happening now or what? The club will announce it when it's announced. When, they, when they've got it sorted, they will say, we are delighted to announce the sponsorship of blah, blah, blah for the stadium for however much, for however long. Yeah, Can I just one. say on the just when you talk about Tottenham Stadium, it's the best stadium I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> I was there this weekend for the NFL. That stadium is fantastic. So say what you want about the Tottenham board, they've built a bloody good stadium. They built an amazing stadium. They've got a fantastic training ground. I can understand the Spurs fans' frustrations at not having a team to match the rest of the club because that team fell apart after uh, Pochettino left. But I think just to walk up and with a list of demands and expect them to be answered I, I think goes a bit too much for me but now we will finally end because we we mentioned quite a few feel-good stories I think this might become a bit of a segment for us because we're seeing it more and more there's so much negativity surrounding football these days you see the hooliganisms on the rise racism's on the rise you know too much money in football football players get paid too much Etc. Etc. So it's always nice to hear a heartwarming story, uh, and the shout out this week actually goes to a player that Dan and Pete have been talking about, which is Macaulay Bond, who recently moved to Ipswich, and he gave a shirt to a 13-year-old who was wearing their Ipswich Town shirt and was rushed into hospital for emergency surgery, and they had to cut her Ipswich shirt off. The 13-year-old Maddie, her name is. She's got a some quite serious illnesses and so he presented her with a new Ipswich t-shirt and celebrated with her when he scored and it obviously meant the world to her because her face just lit up she was there in her mobilized wheelchair and that I've just got to say there are heartwarming moments in football not all footballers are robots I know a lot has been made about the work that Marcus Rashford has, has wonderfully done with the government but it's Sometimes it's even just the small stories like this that make football what it is. So a big shout out to, to, to Macaulay Bond and, and to Maddie. And yeah, and, and apparently he said he's going to celebrate with her all the time now because he, she's his lucky charm because he scored after giving her the shirt. So touching story on that. I think we'll end now. And um, before we go, let's just again shout out our special friends at the proper blokes club it's a community project for men's mental health and of course the main aim as Ryder said and spoke about a lot the main aim is to break the stigma of men's mental health and start talking about it they go on a lot of walks around London um, if you're in the London area Su- Southwark, Greenwich, Wallington and I think Woolwich are the main ones 
But I've also seen this starting to knock about around the country. So head over to their Twitter page, head over to their website. I know there's been one in Bristol in recent weeks. I believe they just did a, a marathon-like walk. They ticked off 26 miles around London. And um, let us talk mental health. Our second one, YouTube channel with uh, a lot of non-league heads. If you're in the non-league or know the non-league game, you'll recognise some of the figures uh, on that YouTube channel talking about their, their struggles in football with mental health and mental health in general. So head over and follow both Proper Blokes Club and Let Us Talk Men's Mental Health on YouTube. Absolutely. And as we've covered that subject, and as Dan rightly said just a little bit earlier, don't be fools, check your balls. Especially if you're my age, it gets more and more of a risk. So check yourselves, fellas. And if you feel a lump, don't be ashamed to go to the doctors. There's nothing wrong with it. So thank you very much, Dan. No problem. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next week.